I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. My name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. How are you? Hope you're all well. Firstly, as ever, thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast. And if you like what you hear and you'd like to make a small donation, you can do so by going over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll see a Linktree drop-down box. Just follow the link for Patreon and that will lead you to where you need to go. And if you're not able, no worries, this content is free for everyone. But back to this week's episode... Today, I'm going to introduce you to an amazing photographer and a damn fine person, Laura Panek. Now, as soon as we made the connection over Zoom was the first time I'd ever spoke to Laura, and I'd only very recently discovered her work. Now, Laura mainly likes to work with the age group of people that we now term in-betweeners, those young people that are in that precarious age of in-between child and adult those formative years that laid a foundation for what's ahead. If I can just read you a little something of Laura's work. Driven by research-led self-initiated projects, Panak seeks to fully understand the lives of those she captures on film in order to portray them as truthfully as possible, perceiving time, trust and understanding to be the key elements in achieving this. Many of her projects develop over several years, helping her to achieve a genuine connection between herself and the sitter and allowing her to capture the intimacy, shared ideas and shared experiences of this relationship. 
and quoting the words of one of the world's leading photographers, Terry O'Neill. Laura's remarkable ability to build trust and respect with her subject allows her to express a gritty vulnerability that is as sincere as it is elusive to capture. And you can't argue with him, right? Now the way I become aware of Laura's work was, the Ministry of Arts got asked to create and curate a virtual exhibition for The View magazine's 2021 Photo London show, Someone's Daughter. Now there's a few things in that sentence that may well need explaining. Firstly, The View magazine. The View magazine was the brainchild of a serving female prisoner in HMP Downview several years ago. It was set up to highlight the obstacles and challenges put in front of women in the criminal justice system, trying to break the stigma attached to those women with a lived prison experience, and ultimately pull together many people from the criminal justice system from both sides of the prison wall to try and create new solutions other than that of lock them up and throw away the key. Well, in a very short time, this magazine has grown into something that would sit very comfortably on a dentist's waiting room table. Until you open it and start reading, it looks like any other high-end magazine. The View magazine is self-funded and throughout the year have a couple of art sales and auctions to help keep itself afloat. Well, this year they've absolutely pulled it out the bag with an exhibition called Someone's Daughter. It's an exhibition that's on display at this year's Photo London exhibition, which runs from the 8th to the 12th of September. And all of the artworks are being auctioned throughout September on Artsy. But to give you a little insight into Someone's Daughter, Someone's Daughter, presented by The View magazine, will see internationally respected photographers take portraits of women who have been affected by the criminal justice system, whether as prisoners, activists or professionals. And today's guest has contributed two such portraits. So rather than me throw bucket loads of spoilers at you, come and join me as I spoke to Laura Panek over Zoom. I mean, for both shoots, I wanted to do something that was a bit experimental, just because I feel like... I don't know, like, I, I just felt like it was an opportunity for that. And I also want to do something about the idea of dual identities because it's about, you know, more than one woman and it's, a, it's about women not just being one thing. Yeah. Um, and then with Joe, I just thought it'd be really interesting to do something about sort of, I don't know, something representative of the mind shifting and us kind of like being in consciousness and subconsciousness. So I was working on like double exposures. I was asking her to close her eyes and then I was doing long exposures and all that kind of stuff. And then it so ended up that with this one, I was using filters and, um, and then did uh, a sort of a slow shutter speed and then sort of froze her for a second. Yeah, and then brilliant. Uh, well, that for a few artists, maybe because I'm an artist myself, I appreciate yeah. that they are going to, take me from this world and put me in the world that they've created so I think it's about you both having some kind of like I don't know like it's a collaboration isn't it yeah. but as an artist what you want to do is you want to bring your ideas to the table and for somebody else to be like I love that idea I'm inspired by by it and I want to get involved and contribute how I can for people listening to this Laura how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work I guess um, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because you never want to really pigeonhole yourself into one category. Yeah. Or, uh, But I guess for the past 13 or 14 years, I would say consistently, I've been interested in photographing people, um, exploring subjects that I don't understand. And when I say subjects, I mean kind of like places or themes 
or notions. Um, most of my work uh, touches on the themes of youth and time. Um, and I work a lot with adolescents and all of my personal work pretty much is shot on analog. Um, and I, I guess what I've always tried to do, whether that be consistently in a project or just on the one-off shot is try and really push the boundaries of photography and be a yeah. bit play, like playfulness is the thing that I would, I, I would say, I try and kind of focus on um, and intimacy. And a lot of my projects blend my, my deep interest in psychology um, with photography. So I really enjoy um, exploring the practice itself and, and the experience itself of being photographed and what happens between those mo that moment when you're photographed and yeah. the moment before and the moment after. And, and for me, that really fascinates my brain to think about, you know, is, is the result of an image a consequence of an interaction that you have with someone? Is it manipulated? Is it manifested in fantasy? You know, it's kind of all these sort of unspoken ideas that fly around when you're yeah. making an image or making a piece of art. Um, so yeah, I think, and with each project that I do, I guess my, my gender is just to learn as much as I can and, and push the limitations of portraiture and photography. I think I, I think I often get quite frustrated with my practice and and kind of just want to sort of see where it can go next, if that makes sense. I know that you you said there that you um you focus on the adolescent, the, the youth, and you also said about the the playfulness. Is that the playfulness in the subject or the way that you can manipulate the the situation with your camera? I think it's the craft itself because I shoot on analog. I think um, part of the reason for that is is the way in which it is much more flexible. Yeah. You know, you can you can be a little bit more daring with it. The results are unpredictable, so you can get some wonderful and some horrible surprises. Um, and also, I think just on a very like basic level, it opens up um, the space for for play with regards to you know, especially when I'm working with younger people. For me, it's about them looking through the viewfinder and seeing what I'm seeing, them getting behind the camera, them learning how to take the back off, load the film, all that kind of stuff if they want to. So I think it's it, it's just the craft itself is quite playful. And then when I'm in a space with young people, naturally their tendencies and their behaviour is just a bit more playful and open. And maybe that's why I enjoy yeah. working with them because they're just a lot more relaxed, um, a lot more unpredictable, and just, well, they're starting to find themselves, aren't they? They're starting to get yeah. that confidence to question what's going on in their environments. You know, I was going to ask why you focused on that age group. And, and it is the age that's in between child and adult. So, uh, yeah, there is a sort of metamorphosis going on there with age, isn't there? Yeah. And I think it's also kind of a, a contradiction in so many ways of, of optimum confidence and complete vulnerability. And I, I think also it's a, an age that's incredibly nostalgic for me. Yeah. Um, and, and it's such a, height, a, a state of heightened emotions. You know, it, during that state of adolescence, everything is extreme. Everything is drama and, and everything is, you know, an adventure. Um, and it holds a lot of uh, time for firsts yeah. as well, you know, the first time we do something. So when, you know, when, when presenting themselves to, a, to the camera, I think, you know, somebody of that age group is just going to offer so much yeah, in definitely. terms of, you know, just their character. And, 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 and I, I just find that they're kind of in a confused state of knowing who they are, but also wondering who they're going to be. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. 
and and secretly i just want to be a teenager <laughs> oh, don't we all don't we all yeah, yeah we yeah. don't mind well i mean i'm in my, my early 50s and i don't think i've grown up yet <laughs> exactly um, we have we haven't <laughs> when was your first interest in you know or, or even photography i know that you've done a, a foundation if i'm sorry to preempt yeah. your answer yeah no 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 well it, it is um it is a slightly complicated one because I've always grown up in a very arty household in the sense that, you know, my mum has always been interested in art and she draws and she used to drag me around galleries when I was a toddler. Um, so it's always been sort of a, a huge feature in my life. And then when I went into school, um, I really didn't have the attention span to be academic. And I was a, <laughs> I was a bit rebellious. Yeah. I, was a, I was a bloody nightmare. And, uh, and so I, I opted for things like psychology and drama and art and, I really fell in love with drawing and I used to sit on the train and draw all the time. And then I remember uh, I applied for a foundation. I was, I was on the foundation and I was doing illustration and graphics. And then uh, I did a taster in photography and I was like, oh my God, I can just draw, but in a yeah. second, this is so much easier. And I can only, I was speaking to somebody today and I was just saying, I can only describe it as just falling in love. Um, nice. And as somebody who is incredibly impatient and fickle and, um, you know, like I'll have an interest and it will just last two seconds or, you know, <laughs> I, I, it really surprises me that I, you know, I get bored so easily. Yet with yeah. photography, I've just never fallen out of love. Like that love is absolutely consistent and passion is Brilliant. just, yeah, lasted all that time. And I get that same buzz. Um, it's very meditative for me. It's very like, it's, it's the only, I'm really awful at meditation, like terrible. Yeah. But for some reason, when I photograph, anything whether that be a landscape or a person or I don't know anything um I definitely escape into a world of like timelessness I just everything is if I'm enjoying it do you remember the point in which you realized that you wanted to be a photographer yeah um there was kind of two two moments that stick in my life I mean my dad's also a photographer I've grown up sort of like tipping trays in the dark room and you know like watching tv on a red gel and uh i can you know every time i smell darkroom chemicals i think of my dad and nice. um so i i've grown up with that but weirdly i didn't actually take a picture until i was in my 20s oh um, wow yeah it just never it never really like dawned on me that i would want to do that and then as soon as i did it i did just completely love it yeah nice. um, but then at the, so there were two instances one of them was that foundation year when i did that course and somebody I really didn't like, a teacher who really hated me and I didn't <laughs> like him, told me I was good at it. And I was like, oh, okay. Gave me a confidence boost. Oh, um, and then I remember sort of like just instinctively having my camera around my neck like every single day and just loving going out shooting every day. And then the second moment that sticks in my head is when I, <laughs> I really don't want to watch it now. You know, when you have like a TV program or a film that you watch as a kid and it yeah, really yeah. And I, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a photojournalist the other day, and she said that it used to really inspire her, this film as well. And she watched it the other day and it horrified her. So I'm not <laughs> um, But I watched War Photographer by James Nashway. And nice. uh, I remember watching it and just going, I want to do that. I 100% want to, you know, just basically photograph things that matter, um, explore the world, and just be really super brave. Um, and then I just completely realised that I don't have the political or the social or the geographical understanding to yeah. come to a third world country. And, and I still <laughs> do. And I feel like um, I love those trips, like working with NGOs. But I think to do it full time, you have to you have to be so embedded within 
each story and I don't know it's a it's a very different kind of life um well, I really uh, admire people that do it though about a year ago I had a guy on here called I think it's Lyle O'Worko okay um he's a photographer from America and he had just got back from he just got mm. got back from a um a shoot in I think it was South America he'd gone back home to New York and um he'd heard a the, the, the bang, the crash. He'd looked out the window and one of the towers were on fire. So he's grabbed his camera and gone out. And he was one of the that um captured the aeroplane actually the second plane actually going into the wow. tower. And so he's taken a sort of these these few photographs and yeah. um yeah that's set him for for life on the front of um all these big magazines, you know. But um yeah it's just a fact of that having the instinct to rather than just jump out of bed and go and have a look, but it's to, yeah. to take the, the sort of evidence capture, you know, forever. Right. Yeah. Laura, which piece that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection. Do you think? I don't know how to answer that. Weirdly kind of, yeah, I kind of separate myself from my work quite a bit in the way that um, I'm sure a lot of artists do. We kind of don't, it's, it's kind of like looking at your, your old clothes. <laughs> 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 what <was> I thinking? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think um I think there's a lot of like photographs that bring back some great memories yeah. and great connections and like really inspiring people. Um, but I wouldn't say there's like anything that has really um that stands out more than more than others. Yeah, I think it's just the experiences in general. But hopefully that's yet to come. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, of Gary, the time we speak, I'll be like, <laughs> a great answer for you. Well, speaking of subjects, do you mind if we if we talk about um, Jester Wells? Yeah, let's. So the View magazine have just done a small exhibition. They're part of Photo London coming up in September. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've invited a, a large number of photographers. Each have taken two portraits. Yes, two. One of your subjects was Jester Wells. I was only told just before this podcast what the texture is on your portrait. Could you tell us a bit about how you was introduced to this um, exhibition? And so when I, you know, before I even kind of knew who I was having, I knew that I wanted to be pretty creative with what we were doing and and play with that concept of duality and, and really think about kind of how each person could be represented that would that would be quite personal to, to themselves. And so when uh, when they got in touch and they said, we've got this woman, Jess, um, I did a little Google, had a look, and I was like, she looks really cool. Isn't she um, just? She, she's also just kind of like got that vibe where you're just like, I could definitely hung out with this person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I just knew that she'd be like really cool to work with. So I gave her a ring and I said, listen, I've looked at your work. I love your work. And I, I looked at kind of all the editorial portraits that, you know, when you sort of image search someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People had like done the same thing where they kind of like did a picture of her holding her picture or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, mm, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, it's a really nice piece. It's obviously like pretty iconic because it's her in, in, in this piece that she's created. And it's kind of a, an image of her holding a, a face. It's really beautiful. And so I said to her, I said, I really love that piece. And maybe we can, you know, look at your artwork and do something collaborative. I said, how would you feel about sewing into an image that I create? Um, And her first question was, how much? (laughs) Because I've got a lot of work on. And I was like, totally fair. Um, 
And then I was like, well, look, let's keep it simple. So then I thought, well, I'll be a bit more experimental in the actual process of making the image, i.e. use different kind of like materials and use mirrors and, and think about the background, think about what I want her wearing, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that when she's got the image, it's just really simple and we can keep it nice and clean. Yeah, um, yeah. And she was well up for that. And I was really relieved. And she was just so helpful, like bouncing ideas and, and so forth. And, and then it so happened that when I came to shoot her, she happened to be wearing exact, I'd said to her, Brilliant. can you wear black? Um, just because I wanted to keep it, because she's such a colourful person. She's yeah. got this beautiful, like very vivid hair and she's got very striking face. I was like, your clothes are cool. They're great. But I feel like it's just going to be a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. So can you just dress in black? And then she did. And then we look, and then I was shooting her and my friend who was with me was like, isn't she wearing exactly what she's wearing? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like the same top and everything we were like mm, did you? and she was like oh yeah <laughs> so that was a really nice touch um and then yeah I just did I wanted to do something with mirrors because again I wanted to work on that kind of that idea of reflection and kind of like duality and also I wanted to think about how you know women can't just be presented as one thing and we need to kind of you know rethink that kind of uh that model because that's what this show is about isn't it really yeah yeah of people and then, yeah, I just kind of like, and then she sent me a few designs and I kind of was like, can you try this? Can you try that? And then she was like, how about this? And I was like, that's it. Um, so I just printed it onto really thick paper and she just whacked it out in like two days. It was amazing. Excellent. And I, and I think for her, it was really nice as well to have some kind of input into the process and she said and it was really nice because she was really happy with the picture as well so it felt like she was happy with the picture I was really happy with the work that she put in so it just felt like a total high five moment yeah yeah um, of course because uh, it's hard to kind of turn around and be like I'm really happy with my work <laughs> somebody else does something and you're like happy with it it's like together we've actually <laughs> something quite cool so yeah I think and I, I think it also kind of like just adds something a bit different to, to the exhibition not just in terms of kind of um, visual aesthetic, but also, you know, it's a one-off piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it makes it a little bit more valuable. So people should bid very highly. Um, I mean, obviously this is a, an audio podcast. Would you be able to just describe the photograph in question? So yeah, I, I guess it's a very dark, very deep, dark blue uh, background. And um, Jess has got this striking red hair um that's almost kind of uh, it's pink I guess pink yeah pink hair um and she is looking right to camera straight on and her head is turned slightly to the side actually yeah. but her gaze is incredibly strong and then there's a mirror that splits kind of just at wait sort of like chest height here so you can see a reflection of her face so it's kind of like this it's kind of, sorry, like this doesn't help. It's kind of a dual <laughs> image, basically. And she's posed in a kind of way that I guess I would describe as, it's almost quite painterly, isn't it? Very much so. The way that she holds herself um, with absolute confidence. And she's got a small tattoo that's slightly blurry and she's wearing black, but the, the pink of her lips and her hair and her earring like really stands out and gives it a little bit of a pop against against that background and then what she's done is she's she's sewn on in white over the top of yeah. this image a very um a very thin detailed almost like a cobweb that that is kind of like a mask of her face and a, so a repeat of her face and eyes slightly further away and her hair and then out of that comes this kind of almost lightning cobweb 
Yeah, um, she's almost traced it just yeah. off center, hasn't she? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and then kind of it's and then this this kind of like lightning cobweb sort of just bursts out, basically. The shoot itself is is really atmospheric and it's quite ghostly to look at anyway. But the because I thought it was um, drawing that she'd put over the top. I didn't realise that it was um, oh. embroidery or needlework. Yeah. And that just gives it as if, like you were saying earlier, as if um, like part of the personality is, is coming out of the, the person themselves, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I, I really, what I want to see is it in, in the flesh, so to, see, so to speak, because, you know, I'm sure that texture is probably quite interesting as well um of, of the thread but yeah I think I think you know Jess is known for that kind of work so hopefully you know people will kind of appreciate um her lovely input I think it's out of all of the works featured in in the show this is the only proper co um collaboration isn't it I mean I'm sure there were other I'm sure everyone collaborated but I'm not sure if any of the Physical other I meant, sorry yeah, participants uh, have kind of like done any kind of like, yeah, like um, physical collaboration with regards to like their artwork or, or anything like that. But I mean, from looking at the images, they do, uh, a lot of them do look like a really lovely collaboration, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. It looks like people have really connected and and kind of worked together, which is always, I mean, that's why those photographers were selected. So yeah, I guess this is just, I was just lucky that Jess was an artist. <laughs> Yeah, you, you 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 pulled the long straw there, I think. Yeah, I did definitely, definitely. I mean, the show itself is called "Someone's Daughter." Yeah, and all the subjects are female. Yes. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about the concept of the the show itself? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm probably not the best person to explain this, um, but from what I understand, you know, this is about kind of um, the way in which we perceive women and how, you know, if somebody has a kind of label, for example, I don't know, they've committed a crime or they've been in prison or um, they have, you know, some kind of label over them as, as being a certain thing, I don't know, in the way in which we, we put people into boxes that actually we really need to question that and rethink that and stop simplifying people and really also kind of um, see the power that women can offer yeah. and how um, just because somebody is labelled as one thing doesn't make them weak or doesn't make them, um, you know, any any less important than anyone else. Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, the women involved, uh, originally, I think I was supposed to photograph somebody who had been in prison, and then I was going to photograph, you know, someone else who was either an activist or, you know, or, or had some kind of like relevant yeah. um, you know, career. And it turned out that I didn't, but I think that for me was um, probably a reminder that this wasn't just about women in prison. This is actually just about, you know, how we label people. Um, and that's something I'm really interested in as well, because I think that, you know, photography plays a huge part in that, you know, we have the power to present people. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have the power to control how those images are received. No, no. Um, we have a certain amount of choice and there's choices that we can make. But ultimately, you know, each each person is going to be read very subjectively to everyone's narrative and experience and how yeah. they want to interpret that person. You can edit and and manipulate an image as, as much as you like as the photographer, as soon as you put it out in a public realm, 
what happens to it after that is is way out of your control, isn't it? You know, so it takes on a life of its own. Hundred percent. And I mean, you can also not not just edit and and do those things, you know, uh, in a very kind of like a craft like sense, but it's also about the relationship that you have with that person. So yeah. you really spend time and you bond with them. The image that you produce is probably going to be very different. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you just kind of rock up, take a second and walk away. Um, yeah. so I think it's about looking at what we can control and what we can be responsible for, but also as viewers, be responsible in being a little bit more open minded and intelligent and, yeah. and just just a little bit more. Yeah, just just kind of. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the, the good thing about this show, I mean, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on on this podcast, but I um, help create the, the virtual gallery, help curate it. And um, when you look around at the um, the portraits on show, you, you're, you're seeing just one woman after another, after another. You, you don't know which one is a criminal, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it's not until you find out the label that then you start to see the criminal, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the way it should be presented, you know. Um, for me, the first ever project that I did actually had that concept where... It was about 15 years ago when young people in particular were really just being absolutely battered by um, this very negative perception within society of being called hoodies and yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. just a really, really bad kind of perception of teenagers. And so what I did is I, I spent about a year, it was my final project at uni, and I, I went around to youth offending teams and people refer, referral units, disabled schools, private schools, all these different kind of institutions where young people were and just got a really wide variety of young people um, from different cultural backgrounds, from yeah. different experiences, and then just literally took their portraits so that it was completely and utterly, you know, in an anonymous setting and very much focused on the person and titled each image with just the name of each person. Brilliant. And the project was called The Untitled. And it was about looking at these people as Gemma or Mike, yeah. you know, just yeah. saying, this is just Gemma. So, you know, ignore every perception that you have, you know, outside of that. And it was about just taking this person as, as who they are. And, and a lot of my work does touch upon that, about this idea of kind of how we use clues to form narratives of people um, and, and stereotypes and perceptions and, and build our own stories of who those people are. Yeah. And, and we're animals. That's, you know, we have to do that for our own. That's sense. exactly what I was about to say. You know, it's only the history of, of ourself and our own circumstances and experience that make us um, have that first impression on a person. And it, it's a natural thing. Sometimes you're wrong, sometimes you're right, you know? And, and it is, as you say, it's just a natural instinct. It's the, the flight or fight sort of um, Yeah, it's our survival way of kind of predicting the people around us so that we've yeah. got our tribe, right? And then, you know, we have a kind of understanding and a prediction of how people will behave consistently. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we're right, but that can be very dangerous as well. When I was doing a project on, I know this is about you, but I know I was doing a project. No, it's not about me. <laughs> I was doing a project a couple of years ago and there's an actor, I don't know if you know of him, you, you may do what once I start talking about him called Michael K. Williams. He's a, a black American actor and he was on, did you ever watch The Wire or Boardwalk Empire? No, my sister watched The Wire. But but, well, there's a guy on it, he's got a, a, a black guy, he's got a scar from his forehead down to his chin, no, wow. sorry, down to his jawline. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw him on TV, figured it was makeup. Yeah. Um, and then he was in another programme and it was the same thing. He was always playing the villain um, right. because of the scar. 
and I wanted to do a project on scars. And um, at the time he was a Hollywood, a well-known Hollywood actor, but not quite a star, you know, he was just on the cusp of the turn. And I just happened to be on Twitter when he posted and I sent him a message to say, I'm doing his project with scars, would he be a subject? And he only fucking replied, but it so happened that he was filming in, um, in London the following year. So I met up with him in Kensington and by this time he'd sort of crossed over from well-known star, uh, well-known actor into sort of um, a, a starting of a, of a star, you know. So <laughs> I, as soon as he's walking towards me, I'm smiling anyway, because he, his name in the wire was Omar, right? Okay. I'm seeing Omar walking towards me because I can't sort of change from character to, to real person. Yeah, you know? yeah. Once we've gone into the coffee shop, we started talking. He's told me his life story. He was a um, choreographer um, and he got attacked, which is why he's got this scar. And right. when he used to do um, choreography for like rappers and that, this is like 20 odd, 30 years ago now, he used to put himself at the back because of he was conscious of this scar because he, he saw himself as no longer beautiful or attractive or, or he saw himself as ugly in some way but right. the rappers they wanted him at the front because of this scar you know it was it was a little bit it was Maybe. within context of, of the, that word the but video. yeah yeah then he started acting and then all of a sudden he's getting used as the villain because of this scar so yeah. it was this life-changing moment that has changed this choreographer into someone who is now seen or stereotype as a, a villain. He is so un that person. And it's only this scar. And that's because of our perception, you know. We see someone with a scar, a man with a scar, we think villain or trouble. Although the project yeah. was when you look at a woman with a scar, you feel empathy, you know. But yeah. yeah, it just goes to show you that the impressions you have on someone can be absolutely wrong. I and just I I, I think happens. that's so I think that's so interesting as well how we can kind of um just sort of one simple thing you know form this whole entire narrative of somebody into good or bad yeah which is just mad isn't it and especially uh, with a guy because he's a victim yeah he's yeah, a victim exactly. of, a, of a really horrific assault exactly. but you go oh that's a bit that's a bit dodgy yeah exactly you see somebody as kind of uh, the opposite if wow. you was able to um, curate a show, Laura, mm -hmm. and you had five other photographers or artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? What's the dead and alive? Yeah. Taryn Simon. Okay. Um, Diane Arbus. Man Ray. Um, you know, I think you're the first person I'm up to over 130 episodes, and you're the first person to pick Man Ray, and I'm really surprised. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's like one of my fave, fave, faves. Like, there's people that I'm really good friends with. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, like, this, I, I, love, I say... just love them to be in it. Just, uh, <laughs> this is the one Ryan that... McGinley, right? I do like Ryan's work. It's, uh, for me, that work was just quite, I don't know, it was, it was quite iconic of its time. I don't think... I think Ryan's works, yeah, I do, I do love it. Oh, definitely um, Mariana Abramovich. Uh, yeah, oh, she's amazing. Um, and then I'm going to pick two more. Um, yeah, you enjoy Esther, Esther Teichman, because I, I absolutely love her work. She was my, my tutor at school and her work is stunning. 
And then I'd have to think of painter. Oh God, that's really hard. You know, I'm really bad at Gary's. I, I see pictures or paintings and then I don't know the names of the people. So, um, You're not so I'm sure there's so many other people that I would love to be in that show. I mean, yeah, I definitely have more than five. Saying that, Laura, if, if I ask you tomorrow, it could well be a completely different five, couldn't it? I you completely know? agree. But, but there I are asked, some people that are consistent for me. But yes. One artist I asked this question and he gave me five names that I'd never heard of. And he gave them like all in a row. And I said, look, I don't know any of these. I said, could you give me a bit of context? He went, oh, they're all friends of mine. I went, are they artists? He went, no, nah, but it'd be a really good night. And <laughs> I thought, oh, what a fucking great answer. Yeah, there you go. A really like, good answer. I think Mary Ellen Mark would be in there as well. She's a fave. If, yeah. um, if you wasn't a photographer, what yeah. do you think you'd like to be? Well, I guess that depends because you can answer that in two ways. You could sort of say, is it something that I'm that I already have the skill set potential for? Yeah. Or is it something that I'm absolutely awful at, but would love to be good at? So like ideally, I would love to be a great sculptor, nice. but I'm absolutely crap and can't see in 3D. <laughs> um, or I'd love to you know, be an incredible writer, but yeah. Um, I'm yeah, I'm not patient enough or superb. Um, so I think, yeah, a sculptor, a writer, or or just a really, really random profession that's like, that means that I speak every single language in the world. Just, yeah, something like Super. that. Super. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being an MI5 agent as well. Oh, wouldn't we all? Spies come up a couple of times in this, actually. Well, Laura, I think that's all my, all my questions asked. Have you got anything coming up? Is there anything in the pipeline? Yeah, I've got, a lovely, I've got a lovely exhibition coming up. Um, it's part of a festival in Barcelona. I can send you the link to it. And Thanks I'm really Dave. happy with the way that they've curated it. They've done such a fantastic job. And it's it's a body of work called Island Symmetries um, that I've I worked on sort of a few years ago. And it's basically around the context that um, it was a friend of mine, actually, Alice, like uh, explained this concept to me and it really inspired me. And it's, it's the geographical term where two places that are very near to each other are always the most dissimilar. And then uh, the furthest place away from one another is always the most similar. So the project is shot in Tasmania and in Birmingham. And oh, it's nice. two small communities. Um, and I just hung out with some kids in each area. And they are as similar as you would ever imagine two little kind of communities. Kids is kids, isn't it? Exactly. So they've done it in a really beautiful way. They've painted a dotted line, you know, along the street and then they've separated the works and, and having them reflected. And I think, yeah, that should be good fun. Um, and then I've just got like quite a few group shows coming up at festivals and which annoyingly I can't travel to. But yeah, no, just trying to keep myself busy. But get, what, what about if I ask you a couple of questions, Gary? Go on. Questions. If you could uh, have anyone on this show that unfortunately is no longer with us, that's passed away, who would you who would you interview? I think it would have to be Francis Bacon. That's a good one. Yeah, a- he was uh, he was yeah. my I think possibly my first love insofar as uh, artwork because I discovered art very late in life. Um, How did you discover art? While I was in prison. Really? I, was, I wanted to change my life, so yeah. the art class was there. So I thought, well, at school, art class was a piece of piss. That's where you went and, you know, (laughs) fucked about. So um, I joined the art class. The tutor was amazing. Yeah. Um, He just had so much confidence in me. He had so much time for me. But I had no interest in art whatsoever. 
Yeah. Um, he showed me a few different ways how to draw. One of them connected. And then that's it. I fell in love with it. Um, do you remember the Sensations exhibition? I bought the book, actually, yeah. Right, so that was on at the time. Yeah, so that's when I... Gallery or something like that. No, it, it was at the Royal Academy. But yeah, yeah. Um, but it was Sartre's show. Yes. And one of the tutors had been, and by this time I'd already fallen in love with art, um, and I had it in my head that I wanted to become an artist, but I didn't quite know how because I'm this, you know, I'm a sort of cockney, loud, brash, and, and the, the image of an artist I had was white, middle class and very well educated, you know. Someone bought in, or one of the tutors bought in the, the Sensations catalogue, and I was like, what a load of shit, what a load of shit, I can do that, I can do that. Yeah. Wasn't interested. And they said, well, just take it back to your cell, have a read, and then come back and slag it off. When I gave it a bit of time, like you should do with people, rather than just, you know, exactly what we're talking about for this exhibition, rather than just look at someone and write them off because yeah. of your opinion of it, have, give that person or that artwork a little bit of time, um, yeah. find out its background, and man, the opinion of that could um, could change your life, and it and it has. It's yeah. changed everything about me, and then that was it. Fucking changed my life. Did you um? Did you get a letter back from Sarah Lucas? Sarah Lucas was the very first person to to write Lovely. to me. I photographed her. She's really nice. At the time, she was with a guy called Angus Fairhurst. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But um, yeah, them two were the first to send me a parcel of catalogues, and then it was Gavin Turk. I didn't know these people at the time, Laura. You yeah. know, they they were just names that was in this book. I didn't know the art world. And yeah. then, um, you know, now they're the biggest names in the world. Any any gallery in the world would sort of, you know, throw their doors open for these people, you know, and they were right into this unknown guy in prison. But and, I, um, I think, again, that's just about, you know, you know, people have an intellect, isn't it? And just yeah, being, yeah. you know, I don't know, open-minded, like you said. Um, but, yeah, it can change your life. A little bit of trust... Giving, giving you a little bit of trust to someone can have yeah. such an influence on them. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. it's, it's remarkable. It's giving people your time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so I, I owe the art world um, a lot for changing my identity and, and the course of, of my life and, and those coming from me, you know. Yeah, same, definitely. I, I, you know, when you said that question of what would you be, like, I don't know, because it's just so ingrained in me, so part of who I am. It's like well, a little club, isn't it? <laughs> the, the people that have been around art all of their life, I've noticed on this podcast, they don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. The people that have been introduced, who discovered art, like myself, they just go, I'd like to be a pig farmer, a, as I yeah. said, paint and decorator, salesman. You know, because that's what they've been in the past or but that's that's see that's the opposite for me because I from a really young age I was like you know I had a paper round at 10 I was working in bars left right and center if there was a job I would I would do it you know yeah. and when my mum raised me she was a single mum and she had you know probably three or four different jobs you know just holding it all together cleaner, yeah. you know working in shelters and stuff like that so for me, it was actually that I hated that so much. Yeah. <laughs> I hated not having control over my own time. And I hated working hard and not working smart. And I hated someone else 
basically reaping the benefits of my hard work. I don't want to do that. And I said to my mum when I became a photographer, I was like, if I end up homeless without money and I'm really struggling, I know that I'll be loving what I'm doing. So I'm yeah. really happy that's all right. And my mum was like, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> you know? She was like, I just want you to be happy. But yeah, wow. Like you've definitely got wealth in other areas now, which is incredible. Oh, like you wouldn't believe. Like you wouldn't be. I wouldn't give this life up for anything, you know. Um, right. Brilliant. Laura, thank you very much for your time. I really do. Oh, appreciate thank you. It's you. always it's it's a real pleasure speaking to you, Gary. It's really brilliant. Nice. <laughs> I'll see you later, Laura. Take care, Thank you. Bye. How bloody cool is Laura Panic and her work? I'm always a little nervous when I record a podcast with someone I've not previously spoken to. But man, those nerves evaporate within just a few moments. You go away now over to Google or Laura's Instagram page to have a look at her work. You'll definitely recognise little bits of yourself in her subjects. Because she captures those moments that we all remember or, or sometimes even try to forget. Laura and I spoke of the portrait she shot with Jester Wells. And since we've recorded this podcast, I've been in touch with Jess. And although her calendar is absolutely chock-a-block, she did say she's going to try and pin down a window of time that she can come on and record an episode. And as I said during the intro to this podcast, I discovered Laura's work whilst curating a virtual exhibition for the View magazine's Someone's Daughter exhibition. Well, if you'd like your own virtual exhibition, or a group show with up to 60 artworks, just get in touch with the Ministry of Arts. As you're aware, the Ministry of Arts is all about the artist, so the rates are very affordable. So hopefully, by the time you listen to this, the Ministry of Arts will have a link in their drop-down box to the Somebody's Daughter virtual exhibition. You can go and take a look for yourself, they're amazing. Well, as Laura mentioned in this exhibition, many of the photographers created portraits of women that have been in prison. And in a couple of days, I'm going to be putting out a bonus episode with one of those ladies in question. And as well as Emily telling you how she come to sit for not one but two photographers, she'll also be telling you how she coped before, during and after prison. It really is an episode you wouldn't want to miss. So that's us just about winding up this episode. Thank you very much, Laura, for the time you gave. I absolutely loved it. And to find out more about The View magazine, go over to any of their social media platforms. They're the same handle on each, which is rebel underscore justice. And you'll see all the amazing work that they've done, that they do, and that they've got coming up. So, until the next episode, toodle pip. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon... Leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Anything is appreciated, but either way, thanks for listening and until next week, ta Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.